Hi everyone, welcome back to Uncloaking History, the official history podcast of the Heritage International Experiential School. Uh, I'm here today with, uh, well, I'm Manan and I'm here today with Tista, Tanishka, Tisha and Adil, who, and we're actually going to take a trip back to more medieval times for once. Uh, over, over the last couple of episodes, we've discussed about uh, a couple, a couple alternate history timelines regarding the world wars, etc. And uh, we had also discussed about the current situation in Afghanistan and how uh, it stemmed from throughout history. But today we're taking a trip back all the way to around the 16th century and looking at the reign of a very famous or uh, European, a very famous character in history known as King Henry VIII. Uh, for those people who studied history in like the CBSE curriculum, uh, you may not have been that much aware of it. And those who've done it abroad or studied abroad, they might actually be a bit aware of what, who King Henry VIII was and why he was so notorious in a way, I'd say. So to give a background, uh, let's go all the way back to the 15th century, late 15th century, where England had just ended three decades of civil war between the House of York and the House of Lancaster. These were two prominent figures in England or uh, areas of uh, control pillars in England. And in the end, uh, it was the House of York that was victorious with uh, the York was consistent of the Henry's or in this sense, Henry VII, who actually ended up winning the father of Henry VIII. Uh, Henry VII then went on to actually have two sons, uh, one being known a lot more than the other. So he had his eldest son, Arthur, and then he uh, gave, uh, and then his wife gave birth to Henry VIII. Now, Henry VIII was never originally uh, meant to take the throne after Henry VII. In fact, uh, he was at times overlooked by his father and he lived with his mother and had great affection for her and his two sisters, where he just went on to learn about languages, music, uh, he played sports, jousting, hunting, and he, through that he became extremely popular in this royal society as well as with everyone else around him. And he was taught by various theologians across Europe, uh, known as the Great Minds, and they describe his character at a young age to be uh, seeking for more learning, uh, being extremely creative, and overall the characteristics of a future successful uh, ruler. But he was never intended to be the ruler, but he had those characteristics. Now, Arthur's eldest son was actually, uh, at the age of around eight, he was, uh, it was decided that he would get married with a certain Catherine of Aragon to make peace with Spain. I think you might want to remember the name Catherine of Aragon. <laughs> uh, but yeah, back then, the sons of kings were used as political bargaining tools. Uh, there's no way around it, but yeah, that's how they were used. Sons, daughters, all of them were used as political bargaining tools. And in this case, Arthur was used to gain a, peace align, a peaceful alliance with Spain. However, Arthur did end up dying and after marrying Catherine of Aragon, which sort of left a huge gap. Well, a gap that would soon be filled by his own brother, Henry VIII, not only in his place as a king, but also because Henry VIII had in fact fell in love with Catherine of Aragon 
and would end up marrying his brother's widow, which was in fact looked down upon uh, by the Pope. And he still somehow allowed it, which is a strange, strange thing as to why it's occurred and it's debated as to why it's occurred. But yeah, uh, it, that's how it all ended up. So you guys have anything else to say about that? But that's how King Henry came to power. Yeah, I feel like the Pope thing uh, came back to bite him later. But yeah, we'll talk about that. <laughs> I, I think that was a bit strange with the Pope. We'll, yeah, it we'll was. <laughs> so, and also poor Catherine. <laughs> I mean, I think she fell, she fell for Henry as well. Uh, but yes, yeah. uh, <laughs> poor her because of what's happening. So... Henry VIII, yeah. we're, not, we're not going to be taking an entire look at his reign. In fact, we're going to be looking at whether his reign can be said uh, as successful in any way because Henry VIII was known for, known to, so, it's such a prominent figure mainly due to one thing and uh, which actually was one characteristic of his reign that was made into a nursery rhyme called divorced, beheaded, died, divorced, beheaded, survived. And that was <laughs> to describe about the how his six wives were sort of how the six wives he had throughout his reign sort of went <laughs> with uh, Catherine of Aragon, the first one uh, who was divorced. Uh, Jane, uh, there was Anne of Anne Boleyn who was beheaded. Uh, then there was Jane Seymour uh, who actually died of natural causes. There was then Anne of Cleves, Catherine Howard, and Catherine Parr who were uh, divorced, beheaded, and the last one, Catherine Parr, actually managed to outlive Henry for once. One of his wives managed to do that. But yeah, that's where he got his sort of uh, notorious nature or tyrannous descriptions from. So let's see, one of the points is of one of the most significant things he did near the start of his reign, or let's say near the end where he was starting to get fed up about his first wife and he was trying desperately to divorce her and the Pope just wasn't allowing it. He, he, the Pope, he was actually appealing to the fact he should never have been allowed to marry his brother's widow in the first place and the Pope just didn't allow him to get a divorce which is a bit <laughs> strange if you think about it. Uh, a lot. Yes, please. I mean, I wouldn't, I wouldn't really say the Pope was, um, the Pope was just following the Catholic rules at the time. I mean, it's a different story that Henry was the king, but mm -hmm. he, I mean, if Henry was allowed to marry her, he can't now be allowed to divorce her. Like everything can't be his way. I mean, I have the the fact that he was allowed to was a bit of a stretch, and then when he wanted a divorce. Uh, he did appeal to the fact why was he allowed so you can say he it was quite hypocritical of him uh to go that far and out of that struggle he actually managed to create an entire church of england and uh cut ties with the pope throughout his nation just to get a single you know, divorce yeah i think this can actually fall into if you really want to look at the pros this can fall into one like good quality of his because how many rulers can really say that they turned an entire religious uh, system around and he he like completely abolished an entire system it was for selfish reasons and he used a lot of his mm -hmm. very talented 
uh, ministers and management for it, but he did establish the Church of England. Yeah, Thomas uh, Thomas Cranmer was an important figure there. Uh, yeah, but yeah, separating from an entire pope, which was then an unprecedented thing to do. That was, I mm-hmm. guess, that's one of the no most significant features of him or of his reign. Yeah, see, I don't think any ruler ever has had such an impact that they were able to, um, they were able to turn around an entire religion. So people are very firm on their religious beliefs, and he was able to bring a more liberal form of Christianity. Mm-hmm. So I think in that ways he was quite strong. He was able to transform yeah, the whole country into a Protestant clan. Yeah. That kind of matched with his upbringing as well, because while I think because of him being uh, brought up with his mother and his sisters, he had a more like arts-based education rather than mm-hmm. the strict uh, ruler-type education that Arthur got. So he was much mm. more open-minded and much more appreciative of not the not something that wasn't the norm than his brother probably would have been. Yeah, he he was definitely brought. He was never actually brought up intending to be a ruler, but he did in fact uh, become a good one with uh, his characteristics that he developed while uh, being taught in a more creative manner. I'd say uh, for that time period, and yeah, to that it just showed how if you want to talk about one of the strong qualities that made him as or made him a good uh, emp- uh, a good ruler or monarch i'd say would be sort of uh, stubbornness in a sense a good manner of stubbornness where he managed to separate an entire nation uh from the pope from the pope's control which uh over the years it's always been uh, a certain case where so monarchs say they're being chosen by god so and pope is technically uh the god's advocate on earth so there was always this power disparity between who's making the rules and who's controlling what between the Pope and uh, the kings. Uh, and this power struggle, he actually managed to do this. Well, his reasons may have been extremely selfish, but due to them, he actually managed to, uh, well, create an entire new religion. But yeah, now yeah, if you stop. Exactly. Every, it's like every one of his achievements have had like a selfish reason behind mm. them, but they are, they can still be objectively looked at as achievements. Mm. Now, I mean, it's not like he um, provided for a good example even after achievements. <laughs> yeah. yeah. On that point, he was highly temperamental. Uh, or he, he was that badly in search of a male heir that he went through six vi- six wives only Jane Seymour being able to give birth to Edward uh, who would be his one and only son with uh, his other uh, daughters uh, Mary and Elizabeth and yeah that, that his high temperamental status you could argue would be due to a jousting injury a huge jousting injury which which had which actually made him more of a tyrant figure but then still uh, yeah. 
Yeah. Also because of his um, upbringing with his father, I guess mm-hmm. like he never really got attention from his father or importance as the ruler, or and also his mother died at a very young age, and he was very close with her. Not kind getting like attention. Story. Yeah, I was about to say not getting attention by his father, yeah. or well, being yeah. given bad attention by his father. Love his loving mother died at an early age. So there, there are similarities exactly. to how. how a tyrant is made in history yeah 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 but one could argue that he was rebellious he just wanted to do things that weren't allowed could he was he was also very war hungry like he wanted to go down his yeah. one of his main aims in life was to go down as the ruler who conquered french land which was a isn't bit isn't that all of isn't that a main aim that many english rulers had because they had a all very english. Uh, i mean yes they did but i i think the other rulers didn't the reason henry went down as one of the most cruel rulers in history was because he he let this desire override his other concerns including like managing his finances and making his people happy so he was like a bit too much into the war thing yeah the thing is you notice with most uh, with most controversial rulers is they have um, they both have very like particular relationships with each of their parents you notice mm-hmm. that they were close to their mother and their mother would have died in their childhood and they would have a extremely strange strange relationship with their father but at mm-hmm. the same time it's not fair to um completely um dis um it's not fair to completely disregard other um aspects of henry's personality and achievements as a ruler and simply say that it's because of his upbringing Yeah. You know, but uh, your upbringing sort of makes you the sort the person you are, right? And most of his frame of mind or, or the way he was was because of how he was brought up. Why are some why are the first born kids generally speaking um more um how do I say it? a little more organized when it comes to the ruling? He was very artsy and he was doing everything from a selfish point of view. Whereas if, if a a person is bred to rule in a certain way they would follow the laws and not be as rebellious as henry the eighth was yeah i hear that but then again once you're in your 30s and you're in charge of an entire kingdom with so many people who are there who are supposed to give you advice for that are you do you really think um, you could like blame your upbringing and childhood for the way you act like completely you can to a certain extent but still not completely yeah i would actually argue that it was a bit of both because he did have some he already had that selfish mindset and a bit of like a flippant point of view towards the world he didn't really care about what would happen in the future he just wanted to enjoy in the moment and he had a lot of selfish motives that he let uh, drive him but he also had these circumstances that added to something that was already there and probably worsened his psychopathology yeah a lot of henry's um downfall could also be traced back to the fact that um he really um he really just 
wanted to be the life of the party and wanted everything to go na- uh, to be good for him at all times not exactly um, very ruler like if i would say yeah uh in that sense where the way he was brought up i guess you can also argue with the way he was brought up if he if arthur was in his position who had been given the sort of training to be a king uh he would have actually realized uh how his selfish desires would actually lead could have led to the bankruptcy of the nation because he was he king henry uh inherited a very uh it, it was a very strong empire with a very strong economy and he actually managed to bankrupt it because of his selfish uh, desire to just invade france over and over again and have that constant struggle there even with uh, more uh if you could see other rulers such as uh uh the ruler of spain who actually managed to get a treaty with the pope in france and actually stop this warring period because they realized that it was draining their resources for very little value so in that sense henry was not not at all very wise about his decisions that was in fact quite selfish in that sense and it led to not only him facing the consequences but also his entire kingdom facing the consequences but he wasn't all that bad the act in restraint of appeals turned out to be the most important act in the history of england it said that this realm of england is an empire that means that england was a sovereign state subject only to its own government and it was therefore uh, a sort of a legal beginning for the english nation so that is very important in the english history right and england remained completely legally independent until 1953 when the government signed up to the european court of human rights so speaking of how england as a nation benefited under uh, henry's rule the navy also grew considerably in fact there are records that he started producing more ships uh 55 new ships were produced under henry because he was so fond of uh, having a military prowess to attack france and specifically he developed 16 times more uh, the number of ships that they had before his rule started and some even say that his entire enthusiasm with building up the navy could have been the foundation for why england had the most supreme navy force and was called the queen of the seas yeah uh, in that sense it also shows his uh, it also links to his selfish uh, not selfish but his desire to uh ru- have that sort of control and commanding figure about him he what he didn't he knew that uh, he wanted he wanted to paint an image of him as a strong character in that sense where and thus developed the military by so much he that's why he was that temperamental about wanting a male heir because that showed his strength that showed him having a sort of future as well uh, he actually created england's future and protected its present at the same time while developing the navy yeah and i mean there is a pretty strong argument that he was a strong like he was a very strong invader as such because he he didn't he defended his country against every french invasion between 1545 and 1546 and he did have if not his own strategic thinking but he had a very well established team of managing his entire military expedition um, thing so um, he he was I, I a think, pretty he was pretty good at the entire like invading thing i think he understood that uh, where his uh, 
where he was lacking in qualities or where Arthur, a person who was uh, developed to be a king, was actually more successful. And uh, it's happened in the past as well with various kings, which uh, if uh, those of you who are who's interested in the in British history more uh, well, further down with the Vikings, etc., with Ethelwald and Ethelred and King Alfred, the huge king there, all the way back, you'd start to see where kings that weren't destined to be king and were actually due to some consequences that to end up becoming a king, they actually were aware of the of the sort of lacking they had in these military thoughts, etc., and these finances, and they appointed the way King Henry the uh, eighth did. They assembled a diverse team of leaders, each assigned to a different area of management. So the way you are thought uh, Cromwell as a chief minister. He had Cranmer for his religious separation. He had Thomas More, a lawyer uh, who became a chancellor under him. And yeah, so he understood in that sense, he actually diversified the rule and he wasn't an entire just one power hungry tyrant at the top. He actually cared about his rule to a certain extent. But at times that, wasn't that really wasn't reflected in the domestic situation at, uh, in his empire. Okay, so uh, talking about the domestic policies, a great majority of Henry's subjects had to deal with economic hardships, which were um, which were not properly addressed by the royal administration. Um, there were major economic troubles early in Henry's reign, such as uh, increase in rural unemployment and the raising of rents and uh, fines for tenant farmers. Um, along with rising prices due to the great inflation that was already in the country, um, Henry's financial ministers comprehended that there, there was a rising population which only compounded the difficulties in the country. Um, then Henry's government was determined to help the poor, so they passed legislation which forbade enclosure. Um, enclosure was the practice by which local landlords closed off uh, with fences, lands, which had um, customarily been used as common farming spaces for poor folks. This policy angered the uh, landed gentry in the countryside. And so um, this wasn't very effective. Now with the onset of plague and trade depression in the 1520s, um, the government saw a significant loss of popularity and unrest started to begin with the rebellions of um, all these uh, poor folks who did not, uh, who were in devastating economic conditions, uh, which overall led to a, a very bad, uh, a very bad taint, a very bad taint in um, Henry's popular popularity, which uh, exists, which was very, which was which was a very important part of his uh, rule in his early time, in the early time period of his reign. Yeah, because when he came into power, he was he was extremely popular. People were cheering for the fact that he he was the one who came into power. He was extremely popular, and then you start to see like evidence of his tyranny taking place or uh, taking toll not only on him, his subjects, but also the entire nation, where he lost, were such a prominent and really popular figure and likable figure, just uh, well, he just became a tyrant, and people started hating him for it. And in that sense, it, the tyranny also showed in the very noticeably in the 1530s and 1540s, where 
he actually uh, for there were various members of the Paul and Courtney families, which were other families that were there uh, in England, and he actually executed them for their royal blood being uh, somewhat of a claim, maybe a weak claim, but a claim nonetheless to his throne. And out of that fear and out of that insecurity, he actually went ahead and killed them. And in that time period of his tyranny, the uh, historian John Stowe, a 16th century historian, he claims that he executed about 70,000 people, but uh, modern historians think it's a great exaggeration, but that number is still well up in the hundreds, uh, well, high hundreds, where it, which is still extremely uh, a big number in medieval times. And if you think about it, he actually, the, the people he hated, the French, he took a few tips from them with the execution part. But yeah. Uh, yeah, speaking of execution, uh, he, I think a lot of his, um, I, a lot of why he had so many of those was also because of the, all the rumors that were going around that he, I mean, true rumors about how he couldn't have a male, male heir. And since that was one of his personal goals, it, it really fueled his mistrust of the entire community and it made him angry that those were the rumors going around. And it sort of also made him insecure about his masculinity, which led to him uh, having several portraits painted of himself that were distributed around that were that sort of um, served to establish his masculinity. And there is this one portrait in particular that was completely half fabricated, which is widely circulated. And people think that's how he looked, but that was actually a very um, romanticized version of him. But yeah. Uh, while we're on the topic of execution, <clears throat> um, we know, like like Manan said, that the number of uh, 77, 2000 executions was highly inflated as um, claimed by modern historians. But um, what we do know for certain is that King Henry did get very creative with his style of executions. So there were many ways a person could be executed during his reign. So one, one of which was pressing. So the victim would have a large plank placed over their body to which weight would be added. And this would lead to broken bones and then eventually they would suffocate to death. There was also um, some cases of people getting boiled alive. Um, oh, in, yeah. the in the case of Richard Drews, who was um, a cook of John Fisher, Fisher who was a bishop. And um, we also had people being hanged, drawn, and quartered. We oh, had God. people being burned to death. And of course, the most famous one was uh, beheading, which happened to his, both his wife Anne Boleyn and Catherine Howard. Um, people were also hanged to death, which is um, the most common way that people would in uh, hung, drawn, and quartered, if I'm not wrong, was uh, a person's limb being tied to uh, a horse, each of his four limbs being tied to a horse, and the horses were made to run in different directions. Yeah. Which snapped their yeah, tendons. Yeah, they were made dragged behind a cart from their jail or prison to where the execution would take place. And then um, it was very brutal, actually. Yeah, uh, if... if or if you guys want to, you can look into more of the punishments that were there in the medieval times or uh, during the Tudor's reign even. 
there were various ways of treating offenses, <clears throat> such as a drunk would be oh, made yeah. to wear a barrel. Oh yeah, the one <laughs> where um, yeah, some they put a headgear like a metal headgear on the person's. Yeah, that head, was for women. And they were yeah. nailed to their tongue, so they couldn't. Yeah, speak. that was for women. Yeah. When that was for women who talked. It, it was legal. It was legal for a for a husband to put that on the on his wife if she talked too much or gossiped. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, if she talked too much, that would cost her tongue quite a bit. Yeah, the the punishments yeah. back then. <laughs> kind of injured nearly there okay maybe not the drunk one which was just spending the entire day with a battle but it was a certain tone of embarrassment it had that creative i guess he retained his creativeness to some extent with <laughs> in certain things but yeah, yeah they it was a strange time to do something illegal there was also a lot of branding as well you were branded as a thief or uh, as a killer murderer etc so yeah it's really not a fun time to well commit any crime if you think about it. But yeah, in that sense, he he his tyranny was actually one of the negative factors of his rule quite massively. His executions, his temper, his insecurity, uh, to the extent he's killing off, beheading his wife with mainly rumors, no physical evidence of any negative against him uh, or doing any negative act against him and in that sense it also just further adds to his tyranny that he's renowned for throughout and but then again he, one of his main goals was indeed to go down as one of the most remembered rulers of all time that was something that Henry thrived for in a sense and in that sense he succeeded personally he succeeded for being one of the most known monarchs of all time but if you look at his rule with like disregard, complete disregard of that, uh, to me, it seems like there was a lot more bad than the good, even though he managed to build an inspiring environment around him by being hands-on with what he did early on in his reign. The incident, the jousting injury and him turning more into a tyrant, uh, it just sort of drew in the potential of the young King Henry that all those theologians saw in him. And to me, yes, he's successful in the sense he became one of the most known rulers across the world. But when it comes to how successful he was quite quantum, if it was to be quantified, I'd say he was very unsuccessful in that half. Exactly. I completely agree. I I think whatever little good he did do in terms of um, the Navy or in terms of uh, patronage of the arts, uh, he was still, each one of us does know him as the this gluttonous, war-hungry wife killer. So there isn't really, I, I don't think I need to say much more than that. I think he would have rather been known for his war against France, his struggle against Scotland. But if you mm. go through six wives and behead two of them, that's going yeah. and you make an entire, I guess you can say he was very devoted to his love life, just not in the sense you'd want to, where he <laughs> made an entire religion to separate from his wife. But yeah, exactly. Very well known uh, for that. Wife killer. Yeah, <laughs> wife killer. Yeah. All, for a, all for a son who barely reigned with the longest reign of being uh, Queen Elizabeth were actually Queen Elizabeth the first one of the most successful emperors in all time which was 
quite ironic if you think about it. He did all of that for the son only to have his legacy be further cemented and even uh I know by, by his one was, by one of his two daughters. Yeah. yeah, it was like karma, I guess, for all his wife killing. Yeah. But you know, I think one thing that he did that one thing that he did accomplish was that he gave more power to the parliament and i think that is the reason why the british empire is somewhat mm-hmm. still present because if the entire power was still in the hand of the emperor then the country would have finished or diminished a very long time back yeah went down, the, went down with the, uh, france and how their monarch sort of ended up being that sort of civil yeah, war there. Yeah, because there was no balance. Uh, Here, they were able to distribute the power and that sort of helped them maintain their rule for a very long mm-hmm. time. I guess in some yeah, way... Yeah, and England, England also descended into more of like the Protestant point of view rather than the rigid mm-hmm. Catholicism of the Pope. Yeah. So, of course, they, these are the certain points that he may not be known for, might be known more for the wife killings and the huge pot belly yeah. he had, but never depicted. But other than that, he did he did do some good things. He he solidified the monarch's line. You could uh, you could even argue that he's the reason why Queen Elizabeth is there right now as queen, why the royal family is so protected and so valued in that country, is because they allowed this sort of change, or he in fact allowed this sort of change. So yeah, yeah, still up to discussion whether he can be good or classified as good or bad or successful, unsuccessful. And after, well, other points on this. What, what else? Uh, what else? What other perspective could be there? I mean, couldn't you just classify him as a good leader but a bad person? Because personally, that's <laughs> how I would describe him. Yeah, yeah, I think I agree with that. You know, but I don't think he was a good leader. I just think his selfishness sort of went with him and he was lucky. Mm-hmm. He didn't uh, have lucky. any leadership skills. Uh, uh, he, I, I have to argue on that just a bit where he, he did, man, he, he was a natural leader in the sense he, uh, he did certain characteristics. Maybe he never intended to be a leader in that sense. But with the way he was hands-on with his projects, even from the smallest projects to the big ones, where especially with the war effort going there, even if when he was had this huge massive pot belly and had to be carried around in the litter, he was still inspiring to everyone inside his courtroom. And uh, from his throughout his reign, you can see his courtroom was held firstly by utter true loyalty, and then near the end, all of them were fearful of his tyranny, and. Yeah, in that sense, I'd say he was a leader, and he, I think he exemplified two, both the uh, polar ends of a good leader, I'd say. Yeah, I would actually add to that by saying that he wasn't called a, like a charming and a, a, a good leader by all his teachers for nothing. They saw something in him. They saw the leadership qualities. They even, I think one of his teachers even said that he could have become the ruler if Arthur wasn't in line for that. And also, he mm-hmm. he succeeded in every single invasion that he went to. That's not something that every ruler does. If he was incompetent, he would, as a leader, he would lose at least one. But even with like the entire being carried around mm-hmm. thing, he won every single one of those invasions. So I think it's still up to discussion 
about how whether he was a good leader or whether he could have been a good leader without the help he received. But yeah, it's always up to discussion with these sort of Warnocks, etc. And how well, well, they've all had their bads, they've all had their goods, and same goes with the tyranny, uh, the tyranny of King Henry VIII, who will forever be remembered by the divorced bearded die, divorced bearded survive with everyone yeah. in Europe and everywhere else being taught that taught about him to till this day. Imagine since the 16th century till the 21st, this one ruler has stuck to majority of the students' minds or this sense. So in that sense, you can even term him to be a success in maintaining his name throughout history, not dying completely. Yeah. He did go down in history, not the way he wanted, but in other ways, yeah. I guess. <laughs> yeah. Uh, and with that, I think we, after that discussion, it's up to you guys, the listeners, to draw whether you term him as a good ruler, good person, or a tremendously horrible, way tyrannical, bad temperamental ruler, or a temperamental person. But after that discussion, I think we've looked at not only his entire six wives, the most famous aspect about him, sadly, but uh, maybe not sadly, maybe he does, you can argue he does deserve to be known by that. But again, that's up to you guys who are listening here. And yeah, with that, we'd like to bring a close to this episode of Uncloaking History. And we'll see you guys next time. Bye. Bye.